Sahail Nayatala. He's here in Perth. He's a futurist, a shining leading light in that field. Chomsky, Noam Chomsky, sometimes referred to as the Elvis of academia. Apparently, uh, Professor Inayatala is uh, the rock star, a rock star in the world of future studies. Uh, he's the UNESCO Chair in Future Studies at Tamking University, Taiwan. He's based in the Sunshine Coast, University of the Sunshine Coast, written many books. Very interesting chap. I started by asking him, what is this futurism stuff? So I guess uh, future studies is the study and the practice of looking at alternative futures. So the main kind of core idea one is there's not one future out there, but multiple futures. So many people just try to predict the future, and we're saying, well, that's pretty problematic because all of us want to create the future. So we look at alternative futures. So that's kind of principle one. And the seduction in our field is people want you to go ahead and be a crystal ball gazer or say, here's what will happen. And the goal is to say, here's what might happen. Here's where there's some indicators, early warning signals, black swans. But there's always agency, the capacity to influence the future. Which is kind of the second principle is many people don't even aren't even clear of their preferred future, where they wish to go. They're what you might say colonized by the future. So they're colonized by it could be parents, could be the nation state, it could be grand narratives of capitalism or communism, but they don't tell their life story, they're always living someone else's story. So part two in foresight research is really to decolonize the future. And we also often call that in other languages, living someone else's used future. It's a future that's no longer working, but we keep on doing it. There's a lot of that at the moment. Yeah, in almost every organization I work with, they say things like, well, we know people are more productive working from home, and it will save a whole range of issues around transport planning, climate change. Uh, it's much better for everyone, and yet we don't do it because it's a used future. We've always designed cities this way. Now, the second part of, of course, the research is people do feel lonely. We're social people. So then the kind of the innovation is let's rethink libraries, innovation centers, so people can have community spaces closer to where they are, closer to where they live. So it's rethinking the office, rethinking home, and that's often a used future. Why do we keep on doing that? So talk to us a bit about causal layered analysis from Wikipedia, a technique used in strategic planning and future studies to more effectively shape the future. And uh, that kind of was a word that really jumped out at me, is that um, it's not just about analysis, it's about uh, shaping the future. So what CLA does, it, tra- it says that there's four levels of reality. Level one is the litany, the stuff we keep on saying over and over. Level two is the, is the system. So, for example, if you want to go, people keep on saying, well, let's go from petrol to electric. But the system still subsidizes petrol. As well, in terms of gas stations, et cetera, they're plentiful. So it's not just the listening of, well, let's just go from petrol to uh, electric cars. You have to have a system that supports that. Underneath the system is a worldview. Right now, it's the worldview of individuality and the car. If you want a different type of world, you have to rethink the culture. And the fourth is, underneath all that, is the story. So the story could be car is king. So it's not just transforming the motor vehicle, but you have to change the narrative around it. So with one ministry in one country, they said, well, if we want a different transport system, they changed the story from car is king to everything within reach. In fact, they said the customer is king, the citizen is king. 
So if there's a new narrative, then we start to look for different possibilities. If the narrative shifts or the metaphor shifts, then we look at the future differently. And then we think, well, how do I now transform the culture? And then secondly, how do I then rethink the system? How do I redesign the city to the customer's king? Does that mean work home spaces? Does that mean Skype, et cetera? Does that mean uh, new types of public transport, using the rivers? And then the litany is what we keep on saying over and over. So Sile suggests if you want to change the world, you have to do it at four levels. Change the litany, how we talk about things, change the system, how we do things, change the worldview, how we think, and change the narrative, the stories that tell us. So I understand this is not an abstract academic thing for you. This is something you're working uh, very regularly with uh, with councils and, and different uh, community organisations. How does this, I guess, hit the rubber on the road with you? Talk to us about a, an example that uh, jumps to mind. Well, I just, I was, uh, we had someone took one of our courses from the roofing industry. So his argument was the roofing industry will go through major disruptions in the short, medium and long-term future. So he said, roofs right now is just, it's a roof, it's something over the house. The metaphor, it's an umbrella over your head. And then, but he said, well, but systemically we're seeing a change in roof design. What happens to the person who makes roofs? And then he started to think about, well, we actually need to come up with a new story around roofing. The roof is not just an umbrella over your head. It's like a multi-adapter system. It's something that can plug in in different ways. The roof as a culture provides essential services. So that means rethinking the roof, not just as keeping water out or keeping the wind away, but it deals with solar energy. It, it's, a place, it's a place for, for your, your Internet. And it's also a place you know, to keep things dry. So the nature of the roof goes from one to multiple. And then to do that strategy, he had to figure out, okay, what's the new story? What are the systemic causes driving this change? And then what's my new measurement? So, for example, when we were working with libraries, if the library is just about books, well, more and more people aren't going to libraries because we're going towards digital books. So how do you transform the library? And the library is just about the collection. So now as we look for the transforming the library, we think about the new story is not the keeper of the collection. The new story is the innovator of the gardens. The worldview shifts from, you know, basically the expert to co-creation, co-curation. The system goes from the catalog to now a whole range of possibilities in terms of 3D printing, uh, 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 the whole range of virtual spaces, uh, using uh, um, different types of technologies. Uh, and then finally, the listening changes from books loan to perhaps people who come to the library, workshops. So it goes from just a place of books to a meeting place, a gathering place. So CLA works in helping organizations, of course, helping deep institutions like the library transform. So whether it's roofing or libraries, you want to find a way forward. CLA also helps us go deeper. We just did a workshop in Victoria on Aboriginal workforce futures. And the kind of litany is, well, let's get more jobs, more jobs, more training, right? Which is part of it. But as we dug deeper, the issue was not more jobs or training. The issue was really about empowerment. It's not just more work. Uh, the Aboriginal leaders were saying, well, it's really about empowerment. So we rethink who we are and we've heard. So it's about more Senate, House of Representatives representation, etc. So it's political social empowerment is actually the narrative shift. 
And then from that, jobs become much easier because everyone sees themselves differently. They see different opportunities. Go back to part two of that conversation with Sahail in Iatala. Continue the conversation talking about uh, Alternative Futures, a YouTube video uh, of him. And I encourage people to do a bit of a, a search for him. There's a great uh, TEDx uh, conversation that he uh, he conducted. But, uh, yeah, talking about uh, Alternative Futures, various kind of scenarios and, you know, what he's on the horizon? I think that the scenario I'm focused on now and many colleagues in the futurist field is what's called the great transition. So the main notion is the world that we've had for the last four or five hundred years is undergoing a major shift. The issue is how deep of a shift is it? Is it merely the decolonization process that started 50, 60 years ago after the Second World War? Uh, is it deeper in terms of a transformation of the nation state with global governance, peer-to-peer governance, uh, the whole transformation in power in terms of direct democracy? Is it deeper in terms of possibly the end of capitalism or the transformation of capitalism? Is it even deeper as we see with climate change challenging the whole notion of what era we're in? Are we entering the, the Anthropocene? So the whole notion is where, or is it even deeper in terms of transformations in patriarchy? So the notion is the main assumptions we had, male, the world is male-run, the world is capital-run, the world is nation-state-run, the world is ego-individual-run, uh, the world is, is, is run, you know, for example, by Europe. Those core assumptions are being challenged. So we start to see a move towards, one, more gender equity, two, towards more renewable resources, such as solar, wind, other types of energies, three, a transformation of the nation-state towards regional and global governance, and, and four, I would even go further, a transformation in terms of, you can't say the end of materialism, but basically the notion that there's deeper values beyond I shop, therefore I am. The whole notion that things we see more and more evidence around meditation, around wellness, around yoga, that there's something about well-being that's more important. So people say, well, right now, all economic activity is GDP, but if we want a different world, we count what we count. We have to re-measure the world. What would a well-being index look like? What's the fourth bottom line? Prosperity, uh, people, planet, plus spirit. So there's this notion that we're in a grand transition. Now, the way that transition spells out, you can't really say. It could be more global governance, more gender equity, more renewable energies, a kind of a softer planet in that sense. Or it could go to the alternative. We see the return of you, the bare meat, let's, let me get a gun revolution in a way, the Trump followers. Mm. It's too difficult. Their demographic group is decreasing, so let's make the walls higher and keep the other out. That's scenario two. The kind of pendulum swing back. Let's go back to the white picket fence. Uh, so those are the two contrasting worlds. And again, we're in this process, and in these long-term processes, it's not clear how it's going to work out. Uh, clearly, we see from the disruptive technologies going from you know, in the way Uber, Airbnb, et cetera, they're disrupting traditional models by making everything far more efficient. So in that sense, they're, they're f- fantastic. They're progressive use of, re- they're, they're a more efficient and effective use of resources, but they're not progressive. Progressive is where the Uber drivers themselves create a cooperative. So Michael Bevins calls that platform cooperatism. So you get the platform like Uber or like any other app that allows deeper cooperation from people who normally are siloed off. 
So this is part of the possibility of the great transition. But again, it's far from certain that it will occur. And if it does occur, how long this process will be. For example, for an education policy, say you saw this, what would you do? If you knew there's going to be more peer-to-peer, more you know, robotics taking over jobs, not one career, but multiple careers, perhaps the end of the job, what do you do? So the useful of scenarios is option one is you remember the good old days and try to bring back the job. So it's you subsidize. Option two is, well, you know, let me try to get national broadband as quick as I can, but right now Australia is number 64, 65. That scenario is too little, too late. Option three is, well, what are the emerging technologies, the emerging industries, how is the world changing? Let me try to anticipate and then rethink education so it makes people more vital, more adaptable, greater ability to adjust to this shift. Option four is let me rethink the entire game. That's the great transition. Let me rethink the assumption around the job, work, and start to think about things like a universal basic income. Thank you so much uh, for joining us this evening. Uh, My pleasure, Karun. Thanks so much for inviting me.